for most of my studies, I have like a very close interaction with patients. I feel like if you're going to go into clinical research, you're, you have to be prepared to like interact with patients and you need to have very good communication skills. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. Currently, terms like vaccine trials and research are being floated uh, and discussed in the media right now. It makes you wonder, how does research get done? How do these trials and research trials get completed? Well, we're going to talk with someone that works intimately with those studies. Not vaccine studies necessarily, but research studies. And we're going to learn how their role is so instrumental in making sure the information in the studies and the coordination of such research is done in the right and proper way, especially as it applies to clinical research and healthcare. So my guest today is a clinical research coordinator and her name is Aname Eka. She was born and raised in Nigeria, received her Nigerian medical degree soon after secondary school, and worked as a physician in Nigeria for a couple years. As a medical officer, she became very intrigued with public health and subsequently applied to and got into NYU's Master of Public Health program. She's been very active in several aspects of the research process such as being part of the Institutional Review Board, or IRB. And for almost two years, she has been a clinical research coordinator for the Mount Sinai Health System Department of Neurology, specifically the epilepsy program, which we're going to talk about. This interview is wonderful. It's rich with details on how she really uh, helps research achieve the proper results and how important details are. And in this interview, you're going to see how much time she actually does spend with patients and how important that is. So let's dive into this interview and get to meet Dr. Aname Eka. Aname, hello and welcome. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited that you're here. I really want to really learn about more about what you're doing. And so again, thanks for coming on board. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, let's jump into it. You are a clinical research coordinator too. (laughs) (laughs) I know we talked about that before, but can you tell me what your profession basically does? What type of patients you're taking care of and how exactly you help them? So as a clinical research coordinator, the main thing you do is you oversee like the conduction of like clinical research, which involves like both clinical trials and non-clinical trials okay and make sure that everything is done according to like federal regulations ethics are followed patients are happy and like basically from the design in some cases to like the activities of the study making sure the protocol the day-to-day operations just to make sure that everything comes together perfectly and seamlessly that's what a coordinator does so, Anami, you're doing obviously uh, clinical and basic research, but uh, what kind of studies are you actually studying? What kind of patients are you dealing with right now? I mainly work with epilepsy patients. I work in an adult epilepsy division, so mainly adults 
although we do have like some clinical studies that we work with the pediatric arm as well. So I do have some pediatric mm-hmm. cases as well, but mainly adult epilepsy patients. That's like my target population. Uh, and could you give us an idea what kind of some of the research you are doing with these patients? Yes, we have like some clinical trials. Clinical trials are usually like uh, new drugs or new medical devices that are sort of like interventional. And they're, you're using them to sort of like things that have not been approved by the FDA, which is basically the Food and Drug Administration, mm-hmm. that an agency that sort of makes sure that oversees that every drug that comes into the market is like safe and it does what it's actually meant to do. How long is your involvement with one study? Is it done in a month, a year, <laughs> a couple years? It depends on the study. So we have like, your, like okay, let me put it this way. We have like some studies that, um, research studies that are observational. So you could have like a retrospective study, which is like a study that is looking at data that has been collected previously. So for such studies, you're looking at like patients' charts, you're pulling out like the data that was collected. Like maybe you're looking at patients with like epilepsy that had this surgical procedure okay. versus the other one. And you want to see what are the outcomes. So you're going back in time. So those studies might not take like a long time because the data is already there. You're basically using what we call secondary data. That's data that was collected for clinical purpose, not necessarily research. But now you have an idea and you want to look at that data. Then we also have like, as I mentioned before, the clinical trials. Yeah where it's basically like a new drug that you think might come into the market and like change things for like people with like seizures. Those are people that have epilepsy because epilepsy is when you have recurrent unprovoked seizures. So you're and now you're only doing clinical research. I do. Yes, I only do clinical research, which, which is like a mixture of observational studies. So I have retrospective studies. I have even prospective, those are studies that you're following patients in real time, but not necessarily clinical trials. So you're not giving them like drugs that have not been approved or you're not putting like a device. And so you're not intervening in anything. So we have clinical trials, which are really like randomized in a very strict setting mm-hmm. because you are basically giving like a medication that hasn't, or let me just say like a chemical compound that we really, we're still testing and observing. We don't know how safe it is or how efficacious it is yet. And it could also be like a medical device as well, like uh, maybe like a chip that if you put in the brain, might be able to like predict seizures or stop seizures. So those are very, very different. It's very controlled compared to like an observational study where like maybe you're looking at patients that have epilepsy and then you're like maybe taking blood or you're looking at the risk of depression yeah. or behavioral disorders in them. So you can see that yeah, the, the risk in them is very, very different. So you are, to do this research, you're working closely with a bunch of team members and several of them, of course, include other researchers and physicians. Is that true? Yes. For like every, because I work with an academic institution. So for every research at most academic institutions, the principal investigator, which is basically like the director or the head of the study team, is usually an MD. Okay. So some of them can be like MDs, PhDs, MDs, MPH, but usually an MD. And then you also have like sub-investigators that can be MDs as well. Some can be other like patient providers like nurse practitioners. You could also have like a research nurse 
You could have like a data specialist. So there are also people that their role in the research study is when you collect all this patient's data, they're going yeah. to like analyze. So you can have like biostat- um, statisticians, you can have epidemiologists and things like that. So you're so working it- with them on a regular basis. Yes, we do work with them as well. And then also in some cases, apart from like the primary research team, I also have like other coordinators. I think I mentioned earlier that for like some studies where I work with the pediatric division. Yeah. In Yeah. So we, I also have to like liaise and work with the pediatric coordinators, clinical research coordinators as well. And then I feel like it also depends on different kind of studies. Like for studies where you have like inpatient monitoring, meaning you're bringing patients into the hospital, you're keeping them to sort of maybe administer like this new drug and you want to like monitor them. You might also have to like recruit like nurses that will sit there to like monitor and do like some other procedure. So it also depends. I feel like it also depends on what the protocol of that particular study calls for so you can bring in more people in some studies and in some studies you have you need like less team members so even though the physician or md or primary clinician kind of spearheads this study you're in charge of coordinating all of it making sure all the pieces are come together all the people come together and get the patients on board correct yes and i i mean you're doing research so you're on the cutting edge of what's the latest information and testing that information out there on patients. Yes, precisely. What's your interaction like with patients? I think like for most of my studies, I have like a very close interaction with patients. I feel like if you're going to go into clinical research, you have to be prepared to like interact with patients and you need to have very good communication skills. And so you need to know, first of all, know your study in and out. Mm -hmm. And then you also have like the one thing I'm always like very careful and I stress a lot is being able to make sure that when you're like recruiting people or talking to people about your study, you are able to explain to them in a manner in which they understand, which is why we have like a document called like an informed consent document. This is like sort of like a pamphlet of like several pages. It has several sections that sort of tells the the patient everything he or she needs to know about the study, why the study is being done, the benefits, but you must also tell the patient about the risk, how long the patient would have to like commit to participating in the study so that you're fully aware of like the time commitment, if it's going to cost you because there are studies that, you know, just you traveling to the hospital and back if they are, you are not being compensated for like your transport, then you're losing money. You have to make sure the patient knows. There are some studies that because of that, they might be, there might be like some compensation. You have to make sure that the patient is also, you know, aware that, okay, maybe we'll pay you this, but you also have to find the balance to make sure that money doesn't become the incentive, mm. you know, for people to participate in research because then you might just be, you might become predatory where people that are economically disadvantaged find that, they are persuaded against their better judgment right. to participate in a research study because of the economic benefit. So you have to make sure that as a coordinator, like when you're like drafting, sitting down with your PI or with the sponsor, you're thinking about the PI is the principal investigator, mm-hmm. which is the lead medical doctor. There are also co-investigators or sub-investigators that are also medical doctors on the, on the same study. So you have to make sure that there is like a balance as well. And 
an important thing is to make sure that that document before the patient signs is written in a language that is suitable for like an eighth grader. So the main thing is you must, the patient must be able to comprehend because it's one thing to tell someone something, give them a, a document, get them to sign it. Yeah. And the person doesn't fully understand what it entails, right. what they are signing up for. And also making them know that at any time you can walk away, it is like totally allowed. Like because it is like voluntary, you are under no obligation to participate. And then in at times where you have like, you know, that mix, because where like the principal investigator or the doctors conducting the research might also be the doctors caring for that patient. You want the patient to know that even if you don't want to participate, you choose not to participate, it's not going to affect your regular clinical care. So you don't feel pressure. Got it. So those are like some of the things that <laughs> You know. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of things you got to keep in mind. You know, yes. So you're you when you're you actually when you're trying to recruit a patient into a study that you're doing, you're yeah. the person that they bring in to talk to the patient about the details of the study and tell yes. them why you want them in this study. Is that correct? That's your responsibility. Yes, that's my responsibility. And but- so you have to know the study very well. Yes. Because they could have a whole bunch of questions and you have to be able to answer it. Yes. So I think, but one other thing that I try not to do is cold call like a patient. Like when you sort of like screen, you feel like this patient might be eligible for this study. Mm. I don't like to like out of the cold, cold just call you and be mm. like, hi, this surprise. is surprise. This is <laughs> anime. And there's this study. So most, <laughs> so most times I will go to the patient's doctor, epilepsy doctor. Yeah. And talk and discuss with the doctor and also like my principal investigator, the lead physician on yeah. the study. And uh-huh. then we'll tell the doctor like this patient we feel like is, you know, a good candidate for this study. Do you think your patient will benefit? And then if the doctor agrees, the p- doctor can give the patient a call like, oh, there's this research study. Are you interested? And then right. when they say they are interested, then I can like follow up and then call send them the consent form, give them time to like review it and then schedule like another phone call or an in-person visit where I can answer all their questions. Got it. So of, of course, just like your job title, which is clinical research coordinator, there is a lot of coordination that you are doing to make sure you get the right patients yes. for the right study. Yes. Got it. And so do you spend a lot of time with patients talking about the study or is it usually just one phone call and that's it? No, it depends. Like there are some patients that they are already like really interested in something that they really need. Or like, like I've had like a case where like maybe a patient was supposed to come into like the EMU, which is the epilepsy monitoring unit, mm-hmm. you know. And maybe their insurance company is not like approving. And then this study has like maybe an EMU like portion. So you're able to come in for clinical care, but also you're able to like still capture your seizures for like, you know, your routine clinical care without you having to pay. So it's like almost like a win-win. So so patients like that, it might be easier to like convince them. Maybe they've spoken with their doctor, they've already agreed. So you're just basically going through the semantics of consenting them on like other patients where they need more time. You have to follow up two to three times. I've had patients that would have like scheduled like the first follow up. I spend, I will spend like an hour like going through all the paths. Yeah. Then they'll still be like, we want to discuss with family and then get back to you. And I think that mainly happens like the 
it usually takes longer in cases where it's like a pediatric patient and you know parents. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so maybe one parent wants to speak with the other. You want to make sure because this is a child or in, pa- in cases where you have incapacitated adults, those are like cognitively impaired adults. And so you need a legally authorized representative, like maybe the member of family that has been designated, you know, to be the person's like signature, on, like for any medical right. procedure. So I'm sure if before you enroll someone that is incapacitated, in a clinical research study, you might want to discuss longer with like your family members and things, as opposed to when I'm like the adult that is, you know, fully capacitated and I'm making the decision about myself. It's easier for me to like take an, a quicker decision. Right. Well, so one trying to understand is that basically you do spend a lot of time communicating with patients in your job. That's, that's yes. part of your role. And, and really kind of spelling things out for them in very simple terms while trying to coordinate all the other pieces with the clinicians and the timing and how they're going to get the therapy if it's, a, it's, a, if it's involving therapy. Yeah. Is that about right that there's just a lot of um, discussions with patients and really it's not just hiding behind a computer and just doing computer work? No, and I even have, apart from like recruiting patients into the study, even when they're in the study, there are like studies that I have where I have to administer like weekly behavioral assessments to patients. So right oh, okay. now I have like a study where I call eligible patients like every day, like tomorrow I have to call like three and it's usually like an hour. Wow, okay. And these are people that have been following up with like for like a year or two years. So it's almost become like, you know, like a friendship You're, because yeah. they're expecting like your call. Like sometimes... Maybe I'm unable to call and who like call me and be like, Anime, aren't we supposed to like speak today? You know, things like that. So they are almost like friends in your head. Wow. But you still have to like remember that they are still like, you know, your patient and things yeah, like that. Yeah, so you get that. to but know them uh, quite closely. You'll get to know. Yes. And I feel like the, you know, the field I'm in, which is epilepsy, is like a chronic, you know, medical condition that I think like it has like a lot of stigma. I th- like here it's better, but like, you know, in other parts of the world, there's a lot of stigma associated with like epilepsy and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's also like very deb- debilitating. It takes a lot away from people, yeah. like from people. And it's something, something that is unpredictable. It can happen like suddenly, you know, you were totally fine. You had one seizure and then your whole life changed. So being able, especially for like studies where we have, where it's like sc- screened for depression, anxiety, people are able to talk through to you. As um, in a, like in a, like people that they feel understand and share like their struggles and pain that they might not feel comfortable communicating with their family members that they feel might be worried about them. So yes, there is like strong patient you know interaction and it's like a good relationship is needed. You sort of like build relationships. And you're very much doing the research by you know just getting this data and getting the right patients. Yes. Anime, what is your typical day like, start to finish? I think my typical day is, it can be like unexpected. It's not like one day you go in and you do the same thing because you have like multiple studies Mm. at the same time and each study requires something different. So I'll say the first thing you go, you wake up in the morning, you see like a slew of emails that you might like have, like maybe the sponsor for like this particular clinical trial because most clinical trials come from like the, 
pharmaceutical company, which we call like the sponsor. Okay. sponsor it's like those it. are like industry right, right. funded studies. Yeah, so you might get, and so they usually have like a clinical research research associate or the monitor that is assigned to like different sites, study sites, which is where we work, like the different like medical institutions where the research is being right, conducted. Right, like a point person. Yes, like the point person. So the monitor yeah. might ask you for like maybe a delegation log. We need like your PI, that's your head researcher to like sign this. We need this, we need that. You need to put in this data or they might be following up like all oh, the study. We need to recruit more patients, you know, different things. So they're asking you for things. You could also get emails from like patients asking questions as well. And then you also have things within the institution as well that you have to do because for you to get to conduct research, you have to like submit like your research to an IRB, which is an institutional review board, Mm -hmm. which is like, Mm -hmm. yes, which is like a group of people or a board of people. Usually they must have like science background and non-science background, like a mix of people. Right. You're handling a lot of communications. Yes, a lot of communication. Whether it's email, phone calls between the medical people, non-medical people, the patients themselves, and and, and so you're that's you're kind of the entry point to for these studies to get that information done correctly and, yes. and to the right people. Yes, precisely. But uh, in terms of your day, so you're handling this. What is your day kind of typically like? So uh, you're just dealing with emails and phone calls. No, so you come in and then also. You might go into meetings with like your, like in my institution, we have like clinical research meetings. So you might go into like a meeting with like researchers that have an idea. They're brainstorming about like a new study. You're sitting in, chipping in, and then you might have to go out and then sort of write the protocol based on what they've said. Uh You could also have like for... Oh, you you help actually write the protocol. Yes. Yes. Neat. Awesome. And then you could also have days where you have patient visits. So for... Clinical st- for like the clinical studies now, you have like scheduled visits where the patient comes in and a certain act a certain set of activities must be carried out on that patient. So before the so if I I'm expecting a patient to come in, I would have already booked for like you know a clinical research um, unit room that the patient will be in, making sure that the head researcher, which is like the PI. Their schedule is clear that day to make sure that they can come in because everything you do, they have to sign off and they have to see as well. So after the emails, if I have a patient coming in, I have to go meet the patient, you know, consent the patient. Or if it's a follow-up visit, discuss with the patient. If it's a study that requires like blood draws, I have to draw the blood. Oh, you you actually draw blood as well? Yes, I draw blood. All right. So I had to get like phlebotomy certificate and then I had prior experience from like my prior life. Got it. Yeah, so... Everything like from drawing blood, doing EKGs if necessary, assessing the patient, and then you also have to like process this blood, ship it, you know, you know as well. So you're doing a lot of the grunt work as well, the dirt, the getting your hands dirty, and, yes, but also involved in meetings and coordination of information between the right people. Between the right people, yes, and then you might also have to like submit things to the IRBs, or maybe you have pending studies that are under review. They might send it back to you with like comments and things that, you know, you need to follow up what on is as your, well. When does your day typically end? On a good day, it ends at five. But <laughs> but uh, a lot of days, like pre-COVID, when, you know, we had like a lot yeah. of research and things like that, you might have to go in. Like if a patient is coming in at 
8 or 8.30, that's the most convenient time for the patient. And we do try to work yep. around the patient's schedule. I have to go in early. I can't say, oh, Got I work it. 9 to Got 5. It. You got to be a little so flexible. Don't then. come. No, I, yes, it. you have to be flexible. And then there are days that like when I had like an inpatient study where the patients will come in and basically we're waiting for them to have the seizure to administer a medication. So the patient was there throughout the weekend and actually had the seizure like on a Friday afternoon. So I had to go in oh. on Friday. I had to go in on Sunday okay. as well. So so sometimes it depends. Like there are, during studies, there are studies where they will call me at 2 a.m. and it's either I go there or I have to speak to like the nurse at the bedside to tell them Got this it. is what to do. So sometimes it's 9 to 5. And then depending on if you have something active, once the patient is there, you have to walk around the clock. What is the most rewarding part of your job? I think the most rewarding part of my job is seeing like improvements in patients, like seeing people become better, like the patient interactions. Like um, I have a particular study where... I have like a patient that I have followed for like mm. more than a year. And th- this study sort of follows like there's a particular device, I wouldn't name the f- device, that they put into the brain to sort of like stop or reduce the amount of seizures. And then I call the patient weekly to like, you know, assess his mood and different things. And this was someone that was having drug resistant epilepsy. Like for you to actually qualify yeah. to get that device, you have to have epilepsy that has been uncontrolled with like two or more appropriately chosen like anti-seizure meds and so you're you're talking to someone that at the beginning of your journey the person was seizing every day you know multiple seizures on a week and then now the person is almost seizure free barely having any seizures and you can see like the change in the person's outlook Mm. in life and like, like maybe someone that couldn't work before the person is able to transition back to working. And as I said, they are regaining like autonomy yeah. over their life. I think that's very, very fulfilling that's awesome. for me. To be a part of that and, yeah. and help them help play a role in that. Is there a least favorite yeah. part of your job that you can tell us about? Yes, I would say the paperwork, the mm. incense. <laughs> emails like just like some days it just feels like you're like moving like paper just paperwork but it's a good balance but sometimes it can be like maybe uh, you're printing out things and then the monitor is like oh uh, we need you to like maybe you put something and you're like the format of the date is it should be day before month you know like little things that you have to like edit something and getting everyone to sign off, which can be very, very Got difficult. It. Got it. So those are like the days that can be a little like frustrating, like the amount, massive amount of paperwork that some, it entails sometimes. Anami, what are some of the misconceptions people have about your career as a clinical research coordinator? I think the main uh, misconception people have is that you have to have a very strong clinical background. And I feel that it is a plus but it is not necessarily a mm. requirement. There are still ways that you can get into like clinical research without having a very, very strong clinical background. It's something you can build along the way. And there are, I feel like there are different entries and different other sort of like job functions you can do within the clinical research coordinator space that may allow you to still get your job done without having a very, very strong clinical experience prior to starting the job. What type of people you think best 
function and, and do well in this type of career and profession? I think the main thing is you have to be detail-oriented, attention mm. to detail. Like the, the littlest thing, because especially for like, you know, drug trials and things like that, like you could conduct a drug trial, it has closed, and then maybe when you worked on the drug trial, it was like an feast or something, and then it gets is getting to uh, the point where it might be approved by the FD, which is the Food and Drug Administration Agency, yeah, yeah. and then they might randomly pick your site to come and review like what you did. And so they are looking at your document. So something as like maybe the informed consent form, a patient that participated did not sign it. Do you understand? Before you started conducting research activities, <laughs> like every paperwork, everything, I feel like you must be detail-oriented, attention to detail. You have to be overly meticulous. You have to be self-motivated because mm. a lot of times, I feel like I set my schedule. Like there is, might not be a lot of oversight because the MDs are running their clinics. They are doing a lot of things. So you have to also be someone that sort of you have foresight. You sort of like predict like this might be a problem Got it. You anticipate in the future. Issues as they are, you have if, to anticipate before they arise. Before they arrive Got and it. sort of start like, you know, prepping and covering everything to make sure that, you know, Got it. nothing arises <laughs> in the future. No, because if there's something that's off, the whole study could be messed up or yeah. the information is not going to be valid. So, yes. Yeah. And the, I think another thing I, I would like to say is integrity, because I believe in like data integrity to make sure that the data you're collecting and you're entering into the database is correct. Yes. You don't want to like falsify data that will be analyzed and give like a result that is not like reliable yeah like later in the future so i think integrity and then communication is important you have to be able to like communicate with people effectively from the patient to like the sponsors and then also your the medical doctors you have to be able to like tell them like speak you know like if you see something that might not be right even though you're working for them and underneath them you have to be able to say, oh, this is not, you know, right. Let us do this this way. You should be able to speak up when you see something and be a good patient advocate. I, I think it's lost in conversation about with research that it's sometimes not very sexy. It's not, you know, it's not all in bold letters and italics. Sometimes the work is just focusing on the details and these details add up to results. And you know, if the details aren't there, those results are not useful or valid. And, you know, these simple things where, where research is just done in the trenches a little bit. Yes, I like. totally agree. I feel like <laughs> in the movies, you do tend to see like, oh, there is like the rush to like, you know, find the cure yeah. to this disease. It's not like that, huh? It's, yeah, it's like, it looks very sexy. <laughs> like it's happy, like, you know, but it's really hard work. Like even recruit from recruiting the patients to following up to getting things mm -hmm. done. It's a very slow, it's a very, very slow process. Yes. So it's not like, you know, very fast. Do you think this um, this career, this profession, will, what do you think the outlook is like for it? Is it a here-to-stay kind of thing? Now, I think clinical research is definitely, definitely here-to-stay. We can see that with the world that we live in, as the world becomes more yeah. globalized, you can see that diseases, infectious diseases that seem to be like a thing that was contained to like developing countries and then chronic here, you can see that we travel and everything we have like an exchange and we keep saying that even previously known diseases are sort of like they are undergoing like genetic mutation mm. and things like that and coming back in like new forms. So there, there is always the need to find like cutting edge new therapies to new diseases and, you know, 
evolving diseases. That, that is diseases that have existed, but they sort of changed their modality and their pattern and things like that. So I feel like clinical research is here to stay. There is no way. Innovation is like key in the world. Like it's either, they say the world is changing. So you either adapt with the change. Oh, or that's you true. I like that. Way. You got to adapt. <laughs> I want to shift gears here sure. to what I like to call Dr. Marnes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And I, you know, I got I got to call you Dr. Eka now. <laughs> I didn't know that you were a Nigerian doctor. So, you know, I got to, you know, well, I can call you Dr. Eka now. Uh, no, you don't right. have to. I'm not... Dr. Eka, are you ready? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Does not need long answers as long or as short as you like. Oh, okay. How many hours of sleep do you need? You need like eight hours of sleep, but I never get it. But how many do you need? Me? I think if I, I sleep for like five to six hours, I'm good. Yeah. Climb a mountain or jump from a plane? Climb a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not jumping from any plane. What's something you could eat for a week straight? Rice. I'm a rice lover. I'm wow, addicted really? to rice. Yes. Any type of rice? Uh, like uh, fried rice, jollof rice, which is rice and stew, rice with like oxtail, like rice in any form. I would, I can eat it all day, every day. How do you hope you're described by people when you're not around? I hope they describe me as someone that has integrity. Someone that would always like speak the truth, not like in forcefully in people's faces, but you know that I say what I mean and I mean what I see. If, like, yeah, that's how I, I would hope to be described. On a scale of 1 to 10, how strict were your parents? I feel like when I was growing up, I felt like my parents were like an 8. But in retrospect, for like Nigerian parents, my parents were pretty liberal. <laughs> so, yes, because my parents didn't sort of like fuzz their decisions on us. I would say like a 6 and I could talk right. to my parents. I've never been scared to speak my mind to my parents. What's the most beautiful place that you've ever been to? Uh, let me see. I will st still say like Dubai. I think it depends. Mm. Yes, I'll take Dubai because of I've the always, always wanted to check place. out that uh, seven-star hotel, the Burj, the Burj Khalifa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen it from like a fan, the lightning, but I've never like gone in. And <laughs> yeah, it looks awesome. And finally, yes. can you say something about yourself that most people at your workplace would not know about you? I think most people don't know that I have a very quirky sense of humor because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a good laugher. I got to say, thank you for laughing at my quirky and weird jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Where can listeners go to reach you and learn more about you? You can go to LinkedIn. Unfortunately, that's the only social media platform I'm on. So just type in search for Oname Eka. And you'll find me smiling. And send, and send you a message, huh? <laughs> yes. Feel free to reach out to me. Uh, Dr. Eka, <laughs> no, Dr. Martin. <laughs> thank you very much for coming on board. I, I really had a great time and learned a lot about how you are doing the hard work to get these studies out and doing the research that really can help people out now and in the future. So thank you so much for coming on board. And thank you, Dr. Mann, for having me. You were like a lovely interviewer. It felt oh, so natural. That's very that's yeah. very kind words. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. On to me. All right, everybody. That's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hc 
with drmar.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.